But first, students' math scores, they aren't bouncing back from the pandemic just yet. That is according to Chicago Public Schools data released this week. And gaps are especially wide for low-income students. Now, in a few minutes, we'll check in with the director of math at Chicago Public Schools. But first, we'll turn to WBEZ education reporter Sarah Karp to help us understand what is going on in math class. Hey, Sarah. Hey, how you doing? Let's get everyone on the same page, Sarah. Where are these data coming from? And what can they tell us? So this is the state standardized test scores that students took this test in the spring. And in about a month and a half, the state will release all of its test scores. But Chicago Public Schools, you know, they they get their data before the the big state release and they're releasing their scores. So that's what this is. I see. How important are these test scores? I mean, what, what does the district actually use them for? At the moment, the district doesn't really use them for very much. Um, they, the district is in the process of building a new accountability process that will look at a little bit of these test scores. But one thing that you have to remember is that the school district and the mayor of Chicago have said repeatedly that you know test scores should not be used to make decisions that are punitive towards schools. So in the past, you know, you might have a school that where students scored very low on tests and then they would get like a low rating and face, you know, some sort of takeovers or school closings. That's no longer the way that these test scores are supposed to be used. Mm. So tell us about the major trends that you're seeing in the data before and post-pandemic. Sure. So one thing that I want to just say is that before the pandemic, Chicago Public Schools gave their own standardized test, um, which was called the MAP. Um, They didn't create it. They bought it from somebody, but they, they gave an internal test. And that was what they used for their rating system. And so the state standardized test was not as big of a deal because it wasn't the thing that determined how a school was rated. However, now only the state standardized test is being given. So the what it's called the IAR. And so that's the only standardized test. So in a way, there's there's some weight put on it just because it's the only measure that we have really coming out. Mm-hmm. And what we what we see in this is that literacy rates, you know, right after the pandemic dropped, as did math scores. So the number of kids or the percent of kids meeting and exceeding standards fell. The numbers for reading have rebounded to almost exactly where they were prior to the pandemic. So Mm -hmm. they were about 27% were meeting or exceeding standards um, pre-pandemic, and now it's like 26 point something. So they're, you know, they're on par. Not the case from what you're saying about math, right? Uh, So why the bounce back for one and not the other? What do you think? What experts say and school district officials say is that math has two unique qualities. One is that it's very foundational. So, like, if you don't know how to add or subtract, it's going to be very hard for you to learn division. You know, so you have to. Yes. So you're going to have to know those basic skills. So if a student came back, you know, from the pandemic missing some skills, then they needed to, you know, recoup those skills. And I, I think that one of the questions is, is how well the school district is doing in their mission of, A, helping kids recoup those skills, and B, 
get them to where they need to be at grade level. So I think that that's, that's kind of the, the tension that's going on. And, and so that, that's one thing is that, that they're, it's a foundational skill. The other thing is that you need a lot of practice in math, you know? You do. Kids weren't practicing quite as much during the pandemic. You know, one person said to me, it's much more likely that you're doing reading just in the course of everyday mm-hmm. life you know, whether you're reading a text message or reading, you know, something on the internet or on a video game, but you're not necessarily doing math every single solitary day in the exact same way. I'm thinking of my kids during the pandemic. I mean, there was also a lack of motivation to even practice, right? Because it was this feeling of, okay, I'm already behind because I don't know how to solve these problems. I have no idea where the teacher is even at in the curriculum right now. I can't get the extra time I normally would have gotten had we been in person. So I'm just going to give up and that's it. I just don't get it. And I'm just going to do poorly this year. Right. And you know what? It's it's kind of interesting because just like you, my reflection on my kids experience with math, my, you know, my high school student was that he fell behind during the pandemic. Same. I mean, he, he went into the the pandemic in honors math classes and by the time his senior year came he was like not in honors math classes anymore and and they're still climbing back up if we're being honest right yeah yeah even though we're quote-unquote post-pandemic yes and I, i mean he's he's already in college and i'll tell you something he was very worried the one class that he was very worried about was you know the beginning math class math 101 wow Well, your reporting also dove into some disparities across the data. What were the test scores like for low income students? Well, they were they were pretty low. Only about 10 percent of low income students were um, meeting or exceeding standards compared to about 42 percent of non low income students. So the gap between the low income students and non low income students was, you know, 30 point 30 percent. So they're lagging far behind. Far behind. And then, you know, one thing I wanted to point out is that I think the the most, you know, alarming thing to me is that when you look at the category of did not meet standards at all. So the way the state does it is that they have five different categories. One's did not meet standards. One is partially met standards. One is approaching standards. And the then is met standards and exceeded standards. And if you looked at that very last category of like, not even close. Um, for low-income kids, it was like 35% were not even close. Mm-hmm. Wow. So, you know, that's, that's an indication that there's that there's a distance to go. And there's a picture being painted by race too, right? Right. I mean, you, you, see, you see also, you know, less than 10% of um, black kids meeting or exceeding standards, about 11% of... Latino kids meaning exceeding standards. So you you just you see these these differences and um and yeah, I think for Asian kids it was like fifty six percent. Wow. There's very big differences and you know, a lot of that is just access to material, um the way that the parents maybe were able to supplement their education with tutors and things like that. Whereas, you know, Chicago public schools and some and some schools, you know, that those things are not um, able to be provided by parents. Mm-hmm. And um, one thing that the school district has done is they've tried to get tutors into schools that serve low-income students, but the school district says a lot of those tutors were focusing on literacy over the last couple of years. And so now they're going to switch that focus to math. 
So we know CPS officials, they've instituted this new universal curriculum, Sarah, and they say that that's going to help with teaching math. So tell us all about it. So this is the thing. This is called Skyline, and this was introduced um, in 2021 to a lot of fanfare. The school district spent a lot, hundreds of millions of dollars on developing curriculum for every grade level and every subject. And they they did a lot of work, you know, getting committees of educators and other people to, to come together and find what they thought was really good curriculum in every subject and every grade. Now, they said to schools, you don't have to use this, but we encourage you to use it. And over the last year or so, they've, you know, they put a little more pressure. So they've said, either you use this Skyline curriculum or you prove to us that you're using a high-quality curriculum. Mm. So a lot more schools have been adopting Skyline because— How many would you say are using it? Well, this is the thing. Last year, when the last time I looked at this, which was um, in the fall of last year— a lot more schools were using it in reading and social studies um, as opposed to math. But the school district says that they've increased the number of schools that are using it in, in math. So I think something like 80% of schools are using Skyline in some capacity okay. um, and an increasing number of schools in math. And, you know, the school district really thinks that school district officials really think that by getting kids in front of rigorous, well-vetted curriculum is one way that they can close some of these gaps. Well, tell us more about the school that you went to that was using it. I mean, what did that look like? I'll tell you. I went to the school called Earl um, STEM Academy. It's in West Inglewood. Um, and it, first of all, it was a, a very um, delightful school. <laughs> you know how there's just like good energy in some oh, yeah. schools. And this school had a lot of good energy. And in, in the math classes I went to, and I went to several of them, most of the times the kids were using what they call manipulatives. So they were using like blocks or cubes to demonstrate something in math. And that's one of the things that that people say is really important, that when kids can feel something and see something and even hear something, mm -hmm. that those things will stick with them more than just like something that they write on a sheet of paper. We'll leave it there. That's WBEZ education reporter Sarah Karp. Thank you, Sarah. Let's turn now to CPS Director of Math, Corey Morrison, to talk through the district's strategies to improve math scores. Welcome to Reset, Corey. Hi, welcome. Thanks for having me. So I, I want to talk, first of all, about the disparities in the data, especially for low-income students, black students, and Latino students as well. So what is CPS doing, first of all, to bridge those gaps? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I think it's something that we're very aware of. We we keep track of that data um, so we kind of know how our intervention and our strategies are rolling out. So under this this blueprint we've had now for, for a year, we've focused on putting high-quality curriculum in every classroom. And part of that high-quality curriculum definition is that culturally relevance and making sure students see themselves in the curriculum um, because then we have higher rates of engagement. We have, we have students who start to form a uh, inner core identity, and that's what we focus on as a district is this inner core. Particularly in math, we focus on math identity. And why that's important is because, you know, research that we look at and, and folks that we consult with and, and the, the way we understand the landscape of math education is that if students don't have a strong math identity first, nothing else really matters. Mm -hmm. So Focusing our curriculum efforts and and our intention around having students see themselves 
in the curriculum, either through the pedagogy strategies that teachers are enacting or mm -hmm. the actual materials in front of them. Students are able to see themselves and it's, it's relevant to them. Um, so that's one way we're engaging and to address those, those disparities. Yeah, I, I like that, you know, students being able to see themselves in it. Because I, I, I think about, I often think about, you know, if students are falling behind, what are the options there? What, what are teachers doing? I mean, are, are they teaching older students lessons meant for younger students? Uh, no, that's something we don't, we don't want to see much at all. And so part of, part of our strategy is around accelerated practices. And so what that means is not trying to get students beyond grade level. Accelerated in this sense means getting students at grade level. And so from one of the big reports that we, we've read that students are spending, this is nationwide, up to two-thirds of their time on remediation or content that is below their grade level in an effort to get them up to speed. Yeah. So people are saying, oh, well, I got to go back a grade level to try to help them fill in these gaps. And what, what you're doing is you're grinding the gears down. You're making math not enjoyable in any way. You're not addressing some root causes. And so you're really stifling that exploratory, that curiosity, and those, those things that make math relevant. Mm -hmm. So what we lean into is accelerated practices and this idea that we're going to provide grade-level content for students, and then we're going to get really, really good at providing interventions, just-in-time supports, or strategies so that students can access that grade-level content. I see. And so we talk about low-floor, high-ceiling problems all the time, um, ways to get students engaged with whatever tools they have. So they might have a few gaps, and the data is very clear that, that many students do have gaps. Right. And that's okay. That shouldn't slow us down or hold us back from giving students accessible grade-level content. Mm -hmm. Because as they work through that productive struggle, they build their identity. They gain confidence. They pick up those skills along the way uh, if we're doing it right. You know, and of course, teaching methods evolve and they change over time. I I'm remembering growing up having to memorize my times tables, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. That was so ingrained in elementary school. It was everywhere I looked. It was up on the, the, you know, the classroom walls. It was on the back of notebooks. Right. Is that something that the field now recommends? No, no, not at all. Uh, I think no some, more memorization. So, well, memoriz this automation Automiz is what we talk about. Is that we we, we build skills and and through some repetition. Obviously, there's still room for practice. Um, but this idea that if we're really grappling with novel problems and we're really focusing on problem solving, students will get mental reps. The students will get practice with the skills that they need as they tinker and tweak with, okay, I'm trying to solve this really complex problem. I need to pull in my understanding of some addition facts here. I need to pull in my understanding of some multiplication facts here. So they're getting those addition, multiplication, division, fact repetition mm -hmm. in an organic problem-solving way because it's that, that sense-making of why would I want to use that tool in this situation yeah. that makes the learning concrete for students. It has them remember it. I personally, terrible at multiplication tables. <laughs> I, was, I was. I was really bad. I was, I was pretty good. Were you? I was pretty good, yeah. I was jealous. Cause I, I think, I, think I, I made like a song go with it, and so oh. it just kind of made it like really stuck in my brain. Yeah, yeah those, yeah. those things never. I was kind of a math nerd, too. That's awesome. Yeah. And then I think, I think something that we have now is that the appreciation of all the different types of, I'll say, use your words as math nerds, um, <laughs> because I know that that wasn't my experience, uh, you know, growing up. It was that, uh, you know, not showing your work and just doing it quickly and not being able to explain it was rewarded. Like, hey, right. we're going to speed through this thing. And, mm -hmm. and then we didn't really appreciate students that took a little more time, 
had a deep understanding of what was going on, but they weren't able to spit out those facts quickly. And something that we appreciate now and understand that people who are really strong at math, really good problem solvers in any field, any industry, they're able to take complex situations, yeah. process them, and come up with the strategies or procedures or steps that will help you solve that problem. And that's a really good mathematician. We want that for our students. So speed of fluency is not what we want yeah. necessarily. We want students to be able to make sense of what's going on in the situation mm-hmm. and come to a like sound conclusion of this is how I would approach it. Here's what tools I would use to solve that. Yeah, and we we talked briefly uh, off air, Corey, about the fact that this director of math position this is pretty brand new. It hasn't been around for a while. Uh, yeah. We we've had some different roles that are very similar. Uh, we've we've had math managers, we've had a, a math team in mm-hmm. CPS for forever, um, but CPS really uh, invested in 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 one of our core tenets is that you can implement you can put high quality curriculum out there for anybody all day. Doesn't mean people are going to use it. They have to know what it is. They have to know how to use it. They have to know how to unpack it for their students, especially if we're emphasizing culturally relevant. So my team expanded um, last year. They created director of math position, and, and then I you know, work with 15 folks on my team that mm-hmm. support teachers' professional development. And if teachers come to our sessions, we offer them all day, every day. I feel like somebody on my team is hosting some session around something. We do we do direct support on the curriculum, the CPS in-house curriculum skyline. Uh-huh. We also support um, book studies. We also support professional learning communities. We put on different types of professional learning to engage teachers so that they feel supported in this new type of curriculum. Yeah, and, and as director, I mean, tell us more about your, your vision then. What do you want to see, you know, this school year and beyond? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, one thing I want to see and that our whole team wants to see is we want to see folks implementing high-quality curriculum. We, we don't want to see remediation. We don't want to see people trying to go backwards and, and fill in gaps. We want to see people giving students an opportunity, teachers giving students an opportunity to really, you know, you know flex their skills, what they do have, this yeah. kind of asset mindset. Mm-hmm. And then we're providing teachers with support so they can, they can intervene and give just-in-time nudges and just-in-time instructional su- supports to students so they can attain that grade-level access. So that's first and foremost, implementation of high-quality curriculum so students have access to grade level. Uh, secondly, we really want to shift the mindset around what the true nature of math is, especially in this, you know, we don't want to say 21st century skills because we've been in 21st century for number of time. years, right? Yes. Right. But there is, a, there, is a, there is a shift that's happening, right? Like with, with AI and with all this kind of tools and technology that we have, speed and computation is not what math is about. An uh, iPad can do that. A computer can do that. You know, there's other tools for that. Mm-hmm. Really, math is about problem solving. Understanding. Understanding. Sense making. What's going on here? Mm-hmm. What tools do I need to incorporate here? How, what pro- kind of problem or solution can I get to? Are multiple solutions viable in this environment? So all of that understanding is what we, we want to get to. So getting away from just answer getting and speed. Yeah. Like you spoke to memorization and just facts. You know what question I want to be able to answer you know, more confidently when my kids ask, what am I going to need this for Right. when I'm an right. adult? Do you still use it? Right. And I, I look at them like, uh, you know, here I am a journalist, not really <laughs> using well, math. <laughs> and, and I would say that you're using it all the time because you're, right? you're problem solving. All the that time. is if, true. If we think of math, if we think of reading in ELA as, 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 you know, we're here to read and we want something similar to math. Like you're reading at every grade level. 
And it's just a matter of how complex is the reading and, and different strategies to approach reading. Think of math the same way as it's all about problem solving. It's just you're problem solving at different complexities yep. using different tools at the grade level. So in first, second grade, you're just getting into that addition and subtraction. And then when you're getting into you know fourth, fifth grade, multiplication, division, are these, the, these are the tools we have, right? right? You're getting into middle school, it's algebraic tools. Now we have formulas we can use. So it's, it's this idea of we're always problem solving. It's just what tools are available. That's so true. I feel better now, Corey. Thank you for that. <laughs> <laughs> we'll leave it there. Corey Morrison's the director of math for Chicago Public Schools. Thanks so much. Thank you.